listening to Soul Knox Podcast, and I'm your host, Carl Hikara, and this is episode number 98, and this episode is the next installment of Darkness Weaves with Mike Hill, which is, of course, our uh, collaboration podcast that we split between Soul Knox and Everything Went Black. And this time on the on the docket is the story, The Dark Muse. And of course, this is part of the Kane series from Carl Edward Wagner, um, which you can actually check out if you pick up the uh, Kindle edition on Amazon. Um, this is from the uh, the volume called Night Winds. And, um, you know, you can pick up all the Kane stuff for like 20 bucks on Kindle. So I recommend doing that if you want to read along because it's pretty much the only uh, easy way to get your hands on the on this work. Unfortunately, uh, the books are all out of print. So, yeah, pretty much Kindle is where it's at. But um, they unfortunately do have horrible, horrible covers, which, uh, yeah, just got to overlook that. So, yeah, so we're covering... Um, like I said, we're covering uh, The Dark Muse, which is definitely probably my favorite of the stories that we've covered so far. And uh, I hope you guys will be enjoying the episode, uh, everyone who's following along with the Darkness Weaves saga. Um, yeah, definitely very into doing this cane stuff. Uh, I really enjoy it quite a bit. And um, yeah, so that's what's going on this week. Uh and uh yeah, I'm only two episodes away from episode one hundred. So I think um I think I know that the next two episodes will be I'm gonna put out some two of the episodes that I had on the in the uh in the can. Um they've been waiting to come out on uh a little longer than I originally intended, but uh yeah, so sorry to the uh to the guys. But uh the first one that'll come out on Sunday is gonna be with the band Cult Burial. And then the episode after that, which will be the 100th episode, will be with Ledger Domain Art. So that's a very epic, great conversation and definitely want to have him back on. So those will be our next two episodes. And uh, yeah, then after that, um, I have uh, the next one with Void. Um, all about, uh, this time we're talking about D. Mysterious Dom Sathanas. And um, then, of course, I have the next uh Satanism spirituality with Joe Salino, which will be part two of our uh, Satan uh, Satanic Cinema series, and then I have some stuff on the docket. But I gotta get recording, man. Um, a little behind, so we might be dropping down to once a week just for a little bit until I get uh get some stuff more in the in the um get ahead a little bit. Um, but we're gonna continue for twice a week for at least the next couple of weeks, so I can get these last these two episodes I've been waiting to go out for a while, and yeah, then we'll go from there. But anyways, I'll get into the plugs, and then we shall get right into the episode. Um, I'm part of a gang of podcasters called the Horsemen of the Podcast Apocalypse, which is, of course, every other Monday you have Brandon Legion with Horror Wolf Six Six Six. Every Tuesday you have Into the Necrosphere with Jackie Schmidt. And of course, you can go on to Necrosphere and check out the uh, my top 10 albums of the year that I did on there with Razor Eater Metal, a.k.a. the Duke of Metal, a.k.a. Dave Barardi, <laughs> who should be on back on, on this podcast here and in your future. Um, and then on uh, Wednesdays, you have Everything Went Black with Mike Hill, of course, as uh, 
As I mentioned, we do our series uh, that you're listening to right now. So next month we'll be on Darkness Weaves. Sorry, next month we'll be on Everything Went Black. Um, and then Thursdays you have Necromaniacs with Mike Hill, Mike Scandato, and Jeff Kashid. And then Fridays you have Spitball Media with John Draper. And then Intermediate Times when he has an episode, uh, you got Iblis Manifestations with Cheyenne of Trivax. And um, I should be appearing on Iblis Manifestations in the near future, so keep your eyes open for that. And not a horseman, but one of my associates, I'd like to also shout out my Cellium Signal with Constantine Tuonohovi um, from the Tuonen Porti, and uh, of course the great podcast, which I should also be on soon, I have to schedule with them, so we'll get that going here soon. And finally, please go and uh, follow everybody, uh, rate everybody on Spotify and everything, and um, and uh, share share the episode, spread the word. You can find me on Instagram at either my name or at Denver Underground Radio, which is the online radio station I run. Um, we do shows every Tuesday and Thursday live, starting at 9 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, 11 Eastern Standard Time at um, denverundergroundradio.com. You can tune in live when we do the shows. And then um, and then you can yeah go on Instagram. You can see all our set lists. You can get links to the Spotify playlist as well. And you can see all of the things about the podcast. And hopefully here soon we should have some, uh, maybe a Patreon or something for, the, for our uh, radio show, The Upstairs Room, which is on Thursdays. And more details upcoming. Um, and, but speaking of which I do have a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash soul Knox podcast. Uh, it's $2 a month. And, um, yeah, my, uh, eternal goal is two to four bonus episodes a month. Um, we'll be getting back into the Dracula series here soon. Um, kicking off, uh, yeah. After the holidays, I had to take a little break cause I didn't have time, but, uh, we'll have time now. Uh, we're going to. Kick that back off with uh, with Taste the Blood of Dracula and Scars of Dracula. So, yeah, I hope you guys uh, tune in uh, when I get that up. Uh, should be with Joe Salino again. And then, yeah, so that's it. that's the deal. And um, ultimately, I really appreciate the support and the help from anybody who, um, who does sign up to Patreon. It means a lot to me. It uh, helps keep the lights on as uh, times are tough as I'm sure everybody knows. So anyways, let's get into the episode with uh, with Mike Hill. And uh, like I said, this is about the story The Dark Muse, starring Mr. Kane, of course, the uh, immortal, cursed hero, anti-hero of the series. Hope you guys enjoy. Hail Satan.
If I wanted to write poems on sunshine and flowers and love, this might worry me. But you know my thoughts well enough. I'll weave my verses for the night, sing of the dark things that soar through nameless abysses. Unfold the poetry of the macabre while others prattle about little things. True beauty lies in the dark side of life, in death, in the uncanny, in the grandeur of the unknown. The pure awareness of beauty is as overwhelming an emotion as blind fear. To feel inexpressible love is as soul-wrenching a sensation as to know relentless terror. When fired to the ultimate blaze, the finest emotions become one intolerable flame, and ecstasy and agony are inseparable. All right, well, we're back for the next uh, Darkness Weaves, this time on Solo Knox. So we're um, here with Mike Hill, as always. So, um, yeah, it's funny this month, uh, since we did the last one, seems like... Uh, seems like it's been a while you know but it hasn't been that long i guess but it feels like a lot longer than it was for some reason yeah, the holiday season does that man it's like the end of the year and you know people disappear for a while and i know like over everything went black we took you know, I took a little bit of a break same thing with necromaniacs so um you know coming back into the fold it seems like a longer time has passed than it actually has you know yeah sometimes that it's like that i think um well, I think we also recorded the the episode early on in December as well, so I think that's part of it, right? You know. Yeah. So, yeah. But um, what was I gonna say? I don't remember. But yeah, I feel now we're doing um the Dark Muse. So I uh yeah I really like the story. I'm just well, you know quite a bit actually, and I know you said that's one is one of your favorites. So. Every, I say that every single episode where we talk about one of these stories. Well, this this one's my favorite, but <laughs> I feel like this one is actually one of my favorites. You know, it's um, there's a lot of interesting stuff in here, a lot of cool like ideas, and also there's um, Wagner. Uh, like, I feel like there's some like self-referential stuff in here too, which we'll get into when we start talking about the story. Yeah, I feel like uh, I do. Feel like Wagner's puts him puts himself at least in, a little bit in each story you know i feel like that's pretty common right you know yeah. we've 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 noticed that we marked that out when we were covering um covering the the previous collection it's like yeah here's here's a story that's based off of stuff that he experienced you know what i mean or he puts like a little little bit of himself in there you know yeah definitely you know and also just some some of the uh, locales like knoxville tennessee and you know places that are you know, places that he grew up or, or lived in, you know, he's, it's more like intimate for him, you know? Yeah. Which I mean, you're not, I don't, you're not getting that with Kane necessarily, but there's other no, stuff definitely. that you're putting in yeah. there. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, I guess we get into it, but uh, the, um, uh, what was I going to say? But before we get in, I just want to ask, how was your holidays? Oh, the holidays were nice, actually. Um, thanks for asking. Um, you know, it was pretty quiet. It, like I just uh, just how I like it. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> got to see my family. You know, uh, me and my girlfriend went up to visit my folks, and uh, 
she's an excellent cook so she uh prepared meals for everybody which was um, very much appreciated and then new year's eve was just the two of us um you know watching twilight zone and uh hanging out eating stuff like that right you spent wrong in the new year watching twilight zone it's like yeah it's um it's like a thing you know it's um we're gonna it's gonna be a tradition i think every new year's eve to do a twilight zone run through yeah that's been a while since i've actually watched um the original twilight zone episodes i watched night gallery because i got that dvd set that i i remember talking about but i think you picked the same thing up yeah yeah but uh yeah it's been a while since for twilight zone yeah twilight zone's cool because like uh a lot of the writers like you know richard matheson wrote a bunch of episodes for uh for twilight zone and um yeah it's just an incredibly well-written show and um you know rod serling had you know a really great vision for that for that thing you know night, night gallery too night gallery too is also very, you know incredible night gallery is cool because you get you get you know um weird fiction stories like right. you know in there too i mean there's there's a couple of lovecraft ones i think there's cool air and I forget if there's one other, but yeah. So it's like actually like you're getting like some of the all that weird weird tales type of stuff in Night Gallery. Uh where Twilight Zone I think is mostly his stories, right? Yeah, and, and there's some other other writers, like you know, I know I mean there's a bunch of episodes that Richard Matheson wrote and, and he's just uh, you know, legend, you know, for television writing and and just you know, even even novelists, you know, short stories and all that stuff. I'm a huge Matheson fan, and um, you know, he wrote a trilogy of terror, which is <laughs> one of the best things. I mean, the sheet they're based on short stories too. You know, that were collected. Actually, uh, the version of um, I Legend that I have has uh, the original. Some of those short stories uh, collected within the same volume, and uh, any, anything he's connected to is always always really good. Yeah, Richard Matheson's great. I remember last year I r- listened to the audiobook of Legend of Hell House, which is one of my favorite books by him. Like, yeah. it's, a, it's a really great book. Wait, I've read it a few times, but I, I don't know. I just got that. I was like, I'm going to listen to the audiobook too, so why not? <laughs> I've been I've been listening. I think I, I told you about the series, the series I'm, the R. Scott Baker series I'm reading. Yes. I'm almost done. I literally to the last like two hours of the last audiobook. There's seven books altogether. Um, I think there's supposed to be two more that he's going to do eventually, but yeah, any particularly if people like Kane, I think you need to the Baker stuff is going to be pretty appropriate to it's very much dark fantasy. It's part of that. Have you heard of the whole kind of uh genre like grim dark? Yeah, 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 definitely. That's like uh dark fantasy, like epic fantasy with like a little, but like with like kind of like a sword and sorcery, like darkness uh, associated with it. Yeah, and kind of just like yeah, stuff being fucked up, and uh, I guess he kind of considers his his work in that kind of genre. Um, but uh, yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty. It's a lot of perversity and fucked up shit that goes on, and the whole concept is really fascinating. There's a mixture of uh, love the 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 main kind of antagonists are kind of like Lovecraftian aliens, I guess, in a way. But it's in like this medieval set world, you know what I mean? And um, 
there's this whole yeah it's just very it's very unique in a lot of ways but then he has these little nods to like tolkien or howard or stuff like that mixed in as well like the world he created is very howard-esque where it's based off of real world you know like right. you know and um yeah so i definitely recommend people check it out it's pretty good uh there's there's the first series is prince of nothing the second's called the aspects of emperor and uh yeah, I'm about. I'm almost done. It's been a kind of journey. That's what I've been doing this last month, <laughs> as far as listening, reading, and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I think I was telling. I was telling you, you know, just we were chatting over the last month or so about um the William Hope Hodson uh, exploration. Like I, I hadn't read anything by him prior to um House on the Borderlands, and uh, I know you re- you read that, and I just started uh, the Nightland. Well, I didn't just start it, but I'm maybe like a little bit more than halfway through it right now. And uh, it's an incredible piece, man. It's like, um, it's almost like reading Paradise Lost or something like that. It's like this kind of epic, like Milton-esque, you know, um, prose piece written in this like Baroque uh, style. Very, very interesting. Right. Yeah, because even some, even like House and Borderline has some of that, but I've heard that Nightlands is very much very, uh, very Baroque, you know, very... uh... A lot of language you know you have to kind of parse, parse through so yeah i mean he definitely goes harder in night in the nightland than he does with in uh borderlands like borderlands it's like you know there's like the part of the story where it's like the guys who find the book and then there's like the actual you know book that they're reading and the, the language in there yeah it's more it, it is a little bit baroque but like with the nightlands it's like he goes hard in that style and it's like uh interesting it's like really you got to pay attention and uh you know it's it's a little bit a little bit more challenging than you know just like your run-of-the-mill novel these days but it's definitely a fulfilling uh read and i recommend it to anyone who likes weird fiction right and uh would you say that it kind of has like a style that might be like um inspired by maybe old medieval like like medieval romances and stuff like that that kind of yeah, style i mean yeah, I'd say very much so, and even the story itself has like the sort of medieval romance sort of you know trip going on. You know, I mean, but, the story is a love story, so it's kind of you know, in, in a way, it is you know. But it's set in like a post-apocalyptic world, yeah. So and in two two eras, actually, it starts in like the 1700s, and then this the character, the main character, has consciousness in the far future of uh, the world when the sun goes out. And uh, the world is this dark, bleak, cold place where the last like million humans are living out their existence uh, in the presence of these uh, monumental uh, aliens and demonic forces. So it's uh, very apocalyptic, um, end of the world kind of stuff, you know, and it has to do with like these two incarnations of a woman that the main character is in love with. And um, yeah, it's a very heavy story, man. It's really cool. And like I said, I'm maybe, maybe about 60% done with it right now. That's cool. Yeah. I'm definitely have to get to that. I've been, yeah, I'm powering through this, this R. Scott Baker's series for the past, you know, with the audiobook, but uh, cause, and then I probably, yeah, I want to get around to Nightlands cause I did pick up the audiobook version of Nightlands as well. Cause I, I find that it's easy for me, you know, I'm work when I work, I'm just listening shit all yeah. day. So I just power through, through shit. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, would, I would even 
Just because of the language in that book, I would, I, I think I'd, I would enjoy actually listening to an audio ver- version of it. So I mean, maybe I'll check that out as well. Yeah, it's on, it's on Audible. And uh, yeah, because uh, Nas sent, to me, sent that to me and I, I got it too. And it's like, um, yeah, I think some books are easier to, to, to parse when they're spoken out. Like I noticed, like I found it a lot easier to get into, like, say, Blood Meridian, like to really get enveloped in the world. Yeah. Hearing somebody read it and doing the voices and stuff. You know what I mean? Sure. Uh, yeah, that's another fine, fine book too as well. Yeah. And when you read it, it's a little bit more, it can be a little bit more difficult to follow who's talking and all that kind of stuff. But when you're listening to it, you're like, oh, I get it. And you just kind of get really sucked into it. You know what I mean? So I think, I think some, right. Some, some books seem to be made to be read aloud. So. But you don't well, I would it. venture. I would venture to say that even with Cormac um, McCarthy's uh, penchant for um, colloquial English, the um, like a, a you know read a, a spoken version of that stuff would be really cool to listen to. Yeah, if you get a good reader who can do the do the the different accent, you know, whatever. Yeah, the language part of it, but. Yeah, some books are just like are like that. They're a little easier for whatever reason. Because sometimes when you, when you're like reading it, you can read something and it's so dense that you're kind of like you have to read it again to like understand. Like there's like something between your brain and your eye, and then like when you listen to it, you're like, oh yeah, I get that. You know, it's so it's kind of funny. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess um, I guess we'll get in the story. I figured yeah. I figured it might it might be worthwhile actually for these for these stories for this series to like talk about if we're reading anything weird fiction related that people might be interested in as well with this so yeah definitely i mean um yeah that's you know i mean i'm always reading stuff especially in that in that genre you know it's it's my favorite genre to read and uh maybe after uh i might venture out into some other types of stuff i've i've been i've been having this um desire to reread some of the harry cruz stuff that i read like some of his short stories i have a complete collection of his short stories and been thinking about getting back into reading some of that stuff too harry cruz yeah he's like this um american writer like sort of in he writes about kind of like southern it's i wouldn't say he's a southern gothic writer but he writes about the south a lot and um this kind of kind of low life uh world you know okay so would it be like the Nelson Algernon of the South or something? You know? Yeah, maybe so along those lines. Yeah. You know, like and, a- uh, yeah, I read his stuff like years and years ago. Um, and, uh, you know, I have a collection of his short stories. That might be something I might check out after I finish reading The Nightland. But I do have a, a TBR list of, you know, <laughs> it's like <laughs> pretty monumental at this point, you know. <laughs> Dude, yeah, I have, I have fucking piles of books that, to read. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's like I find I've been having that time problem. You know, I listen to stuff while I work, but then it's like when I'm home, sometimes I don't get that much reading done. You know what I mean? Because <laughs> you're just like tired. Yeah. I'm like I'm just gonna watch something. And then you're like, oh, totally. Yeah. I yeah. mean, lately I've been taking the subway to work, so um, you know, I have time on the train to read, which is nice. Uh, yeah, you know, I got this Brian Evanston um short story collection called the unraveling of the world and i've been chipping away at that too on the train and uh yeah this is the always reading stuff man there's um you know the new incarnation of weird tales like i've been ordering those and there's like tons of cool short stories in there 
like like uh, hard copies because remember you got like some of the Kindles, but so they're doing hard yeah, copies. Yeah, now? yeah. There's, okay. there's hard copies out. I picked a few of those up. Um, cool. Yeah, there's. I just got uh, Richard Corbin's Den. Are you are you familiar with that? I know Richard Corbin, but I don't know. I don't know Den. All right, there. Back in the day, in early days of heavy metal, there was a character called Den, okay. who was like, uh, you know, kind of like this. In some ways, he's similar to like maybe like a like a an R-rated John Carter or something like that, or uh, Almerick, where it's like this kind of guy from Earth on another planet doing adventures, that okay. kind of thing. Right. You know, and it's like you know, it's in heavy metal, so there's like tons of nudity and sex and stuff <laughs> like that, and violence and everything. And um, so they started re reprinting it all, and um, the first volume came out, and I got that in hardcover. And I pre-ordered the second one. Like the hardcover just showed up a couple of days ago. I mean, I haven't started reading it, but that's that's definitely on my list of to, something to check out. That's awesome. Yeah, I went to the comic store yesterday. And I picked up this thing that has like two uh, has a couple of Moon Knight meets Werewolf by Night. Oh yeah, stories like in like a little collection to help her, and um, like ones from the. Uh, I think they're both from the 80s, maybe one sort of early 90s, but the one from the 80s is really pretty sick. It's got like a satanic cult and werewolf by night and moon night are trying to take down the satanic cult who's trying to awaken the beast beast of revelation basically and destroy the world. And I was just Sounds like, excellent. I was like, what is like Marvel was so sick back in the 80s, you know, back 70s, 80s, you know. Yeah, you, you couldn't beat Marvel in the 70s and the 80s, um, you know, and, and you know, just, just, uh, Doug Moink, like the guy who wrote some of those early Moon Knights, was great. And uh, yeah. Roy Thomas, the guy who adapted all the Conan and Robert E. Howard stuff, and incredible writing, great artists. Um, Barry Windsor Smith, man, he did like some of those early Conan uh, four color comics. Yeah. Chris Claremont, you know, the X Men, all that stuff was great, man. Like that was like the heyday. That was like a renaissance, in my opinion, like a golden age for uh, for Marvel. Yeah, I agree. And I found out too at the, I didn't buy it, but I'm probably gonna order it on Amazon. They they've doing a Moon Knight epic collections now for um, so the the first Moon Knight epic collection, you know, covers from the 70s up to the early 80s or something, and it's like 500 pages, but it's like only 20 bucks on Amazon. I was looking through it at at the shop, and it looks fucking really sick. And I think the one of the stories that I'm, that's in this collection is in that. So in this like little. I should I should get that back because I have I have a lot of those single issues um, from back in the day, but uh, I, I'd like to get the whole collection. That'd be great. Um, yeah. Oh, and also yeah. on, under your recommendation, I pre ordered. Well, it's, it's going to be coming out I think in a few weeks, but I pre ordered that uh, the new Conan. Um, Not a savage sword. Well, well, there's the trade of those first few issues that's coming oh, out. Right. Yeah. So I, I ordered them as trades. I didn't pick up the singles. Um, so that I think is going to be shipping in another couple of weeks. So I'm looking for, hopefully that arrives before we head out on tour, which that would be a great thing to, to read while we're traveling and stuff. That's cool. They're already putting out the, the trade for it. I mean, I guess it's been six months or so. So, I mean, I guess they'll probably put out every six out issues put out on trade. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's, I, I missed out. I, I'm having a hard time finding like those original, those first few issues as singles. So that's why I ordered the trade. And then, I'm definitely going to pick up Savage Sword. That's like I can't wait for that to come out. Yeah, I already I was the first person to put it on my box at the comic store. 
Yeah, I got lucky with with Conan, the Titan Conan, uh, because I the guy guy told me that um, yeah, this shit's like selling out fast because people are catching on. That's good. So the first couple issues are pretty hard to find. Like I got on on issue two, but he was able to find me in issue one. So I kind of got lucky with that because I yeah, I think a lot of those single issues are pretty pretty long gone now at this point. Yeah, I can't find them. I mean, I um. A couple of different shops. I don't have a regular shop right now, but like there's a couple of different places. Like I haven't found a spot out here in Jersey since I've been living out here. So I've been going to uh, Midtown in in, the, in New York City, and uh, even there are sold out. So I can't even find any any of that stuff. Forbidden Planet doesn't have it. You know, none of those things. Yeah, it's kind of nice though to have the trades. You know, too. Like, I mean, the art, the cover art for these Titan books are cool too, but. Uh... I might even pick up the trades myself just to have that to read them instead of having to read all the singles, but I'm still going to get all the singles every, every month, but I'm really excited for the Savage Sword. I found out that the B story is a Solomon Kane story. So I'm I'm excited for that. It sounds like Titan is their approach is, is like legit. Like they're looking at it like, it's it's going to be like this it, to me it's like the second coming of like all that 70s marvel stuff treatment of conan oh yeah like they're looking at it as robert e howard's work you know what i mean like i, I really i would love for it to, to you know the solomon kane stuff and maybe expanding out to like brand mac Warren or cormac mccart or um yeah cormac mac art that other character the you know and even even some of the historical fiction it'd be really cool to have in there too you know yeah, whatever whatever they do, I mean, I think they're on the right path, and I'm just excited they're bringing back the 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 magazines. You know, like Marvel when Marvel got the license back there for a couple of years, they just put out kind of like a Rager comic version of Savage Sword that wasn't that great. Yeah. It was okay, it wasn't as good. Their main their main Conan story that a uh, series that Marvel did was pretty good, but you know, it's like. That's not how you use Savage Sword. Like you shouldn't just put out like a regular comic book size one. You no, got to you gotta do the fucking the magazine. You know what I mean? So you got to load it up with backup stories and essays and things like that. That's like the coolest thing about the original Savage Sword series was the um, there was like you know obviously there's the back the backup stories. A lot of the you know that was like Solomon Kane was a big backup character. And then there was the essays on the Hibernian age, which were awesome and like maps and like all this exposition, you know, and it's like, it really, really added like so much to the enjoyment of reading those stories because it had this almost scholarly like element to it. And I, I, I love that stuff, man. I, I'm looking forward. It seems like the Titan version of Savage Sword is going to be kind of like a return to form with that sort of stuff. Yeah, I think so. I think it's, it's cool. I mean, it's, I'm, when 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 Disney basically forced Marvel to drop the license for for Conan, I was a little worried what was going to happen, but I I'm pretty sure that Titan seems to be doing. They seem to be fans. Like they're into Conan, they're into seventies Conan. They want to like bring it back to its glory. You know what I mean? And do do everything right. So I think it's really cool that they're they're doing that. You know, so amazing. Discovered Kane too, you know. I mean, I'm yeah. shocked that no one has picked up the mantle and adapted any of these great stories or expanded on this universe. You know, it's such a rich, um, you know, 
well of awesome material that someone that just it's like completely open you know yeah i mean i would absolutely love to see a a kane comic book series like i would love to see titan or somebody like that pull do you like all right let's do let's do a, a comic version of, of kane or like a magazine you know like do the do, do the kind of savage sword style version of kane too or you know like with black and white with like nudity and everything you know what i mean like i think that would be the way to do kane you know yeah there there, there couldn't be any, any you know regulation on these stories no they, you have to go full on <laughs> well in, in the dark muse uh kane is is once again uh you know kind of a bad guy in this uh, story you know kind of yeah he's kind of he's kind of like yeah i mean the, again this story is kind of interesting because it's told from the viewpoint of 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 the mad poet what's his name uh on bike what's that Eros. Eros. Right, yeah. 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 Something like that. Yeah. And some stories mostly from his viewpoint, but he's kind of like, you know, this mad poet kind of befriend. We find out he has befriended Kane, who, uh, I guess you get the same feeling that Kane appreciates poetry and art and, you know, all this stuff. So, and he appreciates this guy's work. Like he has regard for his poetry. So, you know, uh, they become friends, but what we're kind of like seeing from the outside the fact that Kane has pretty much become like a crime lord. You know what I mean? <laughs> the best, the coolest thing about Kane as a character, he's a swordsman, he's a sorcerer, you know, he's an appreciator of art. He writes his own poetry too. You know, he has like a hand in writing his own work, his own material. Um, he's just like this Renaissance man, you know, it's like he's kind of in. I mean, I guess that's what happens when you're immortal. You yeah. <laughs> learn all these things. You become a master at so many different things, you know, and he's like this scholarly sort of guy, but also this brutal like warrior. And um, yeah, so the city uh is the city of and 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 sell and Seljos. I guess that's how you pronounce it. And yeah, we like see that. that Kane has like installed himself as this kind of gang lord, like organized crime. He's got like a crew of guys, and um He's also somewhat of a drug dealer too, because um, with this, this the prologue of the story opens up with uh, Piros in the throes of some psychedelic trip, uh, where he's experiencing <laughs> all this stuff, you know, and apparently yeah. he bought the psychedelics from uh, from Kane. <laughs> yeah, I can't. Yeah, he either bought them or Kane gave them to him for to help inspire his dreams. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. help inspire his poetry, and so. And he ends up coming out of this trip, like strangling his 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 concubine or whatever, right? You know, like yeah. he's like, oh Set, shit, Setiol, Setiol, her name is, yeah, Setiol. And the the description of that kind of trip he's having kind of reminds me of uh, the story. You know, remember the story in a lonely place where you had the vampire lady, and you go to that party and. It kind of reminded me of it had like a similar feeling to that part that party with the vampire lady. So I feel like it's like it's like yeah, the medieval version of it, you know. Yeah, there's definitely some like uh, some vampire stuff going on, uh, some sexy vampire lady activity in the dream or this trip that he was on, and uh, you know, it's you know we appreciate that, of course. And um, yeah, I always do. <laughs> so so it's coming coming out of this. It's the whole point of all this debauchery, though, is for him to gain. Um, some sort of inspiration for this piece of poetry that he's working on 
called Night Winds, which is something he's been wrestling with for quite some time. And, um, you know, Kane is a fan of his work. You know, they cite all these other pieces that he worked on. You know, Darkness Weaves, where we stole our title of this podcast from, um, yeah. is one of the one of the things that uh, Opiros wrote, as well as Gods and Darkness. You know, and these are all of his some of uh, some of Kane's favorite pieces. You know, they're like his. Uh, you know, he he enjoys his work, so he's trying to guide him through the journey of creating of uh, completing the work on Nightwinds. Yeah, and um, so that's kind of like, yeah. I mean, I guess they hang out at Stanchek's Tavern, which is some type of like, you know, seedy low life tavern, where Kane runs his runs his um, his crime crime ring out of, you know. And uh, I just love that that you, you all this going on, but because you're f- more from the poet's perspective, it's just it's not really comment. He just kind of accepts it. He's just like, oh yeah, Kane's doing. What he's doing, you know, oh, he, he's talking to some guys like, oh, he's got some bag of money, or you know, like he's doing all this stuff, but you're not really. It's not like it's not the focus of the story. It's just the fact no, that Kane, Kane just like does that. Secondary, you know? Yeah, he's like a secondary character in it, really. You know, once again, he's sort of taking a backseat to the whole action. Like the, he's like more of like a an, an enabler in this story. Yeah, he kind of enables stuff. A little bit later, he becomes a little bit more central while operos is in as we'll get into he goes goes off stage for a little bit but yeah it's mostly from from the poet's perspective so it's like although i do think that as the story shifts it shifts more into kane's perspective a little bit but regardless like you know it's not commented it's just like you know this is what kane does you know he goes into any situation and he comes the master of it right you know that's just the the character we've seen he became a sorcerer earlier and mastered that and then he got tired of it and left you know what i mean like <laughs> you know he's just the master of any situation so so one of the more interesting uh parts of this is um the conversation they're having and at uh the, at stanchek's tavern where um you know opiros is going on and on about the difficulties he's working through um and his self-deprecating ide- ideas about his own work and how he feels like what he's producing is kind of, um, you know, maybe just a pastiche of like all these other things that he's been doing or other people's work. And he has a, he just, he's at this kind of like standstill, even though he's been toiling away with all these sleepless nights. And he, and you know, and Kane, of course, offers some criticism on his work. And I found this to be, very tongue in cheek and very interesting and funny because you can actually it's it's almost like a like a Carla Wagner um self-referential part where he's maybe talking about his own uh you know trials in his own writing and his own insecurities about what he's doing you know about oh well you know this is just like a pastiche of other things that other people have done now even though I, I think Wagner has produced his own voice within the dark fantasy realm i mean obviously all this material is very original in my opinion even though it is working within a well-established order of of uh you know storytelling but i just found that to be amusing and very kind of tongue-in-cheek and funny and that sort of thing yeah and he seems like he's um you know operos is he his thing with the poetry in a way is i think something that affects a lot of 
poets or writers and stuff is the, the the desire to express the actuality of something as opposed to just like pale imitation or something like this right you know he wants to he wants people to and i mean his 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 idea of choice of course you know night winds all this stuff i mean it's it's the nocturnal it's like nightmare and horror and these are the th you know things that and beauty at the same time and things that are like you know like uh i guess you could say um i get yeah just like the night side of everything like he wants to create poetry that that not just evokes this thing like in some kind of cliched way but actually makes people feel the feeling that you feel from these types of like arcane like you know sources you know what i mean like yeah i mean it's pretty much captured in the intro that we had at the beginning that you, you selected where um you know he's not interested in trivial stuff you know he's not interested in like the the banal banalities of everyday life he he finds it to be the true beauty to be in the darkness you know and and the likening finding love to extreme sheer terror and that sort of thing like the intensity and extremity of life and you know the darker recesses of uh human experience are the things that he's interested in and um you know it rings true like he wants people like you were saying to experience the actual feeling not a simulation of that and that's where he talks about creating like the perfect poem you know because i think kane asked him to define what he thinks to be the perfect poem you know which is what he's been chasing this whole time and in his attempt to create night winds which is like you know he's is going to be the the grand total of his entire efforts you know so um yeah and it rings true i mean you know you and i both are you know, we we're, we dabble in uh, <laughs> you know, create creative stuff, and you know, we 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 play around, and we we you know, we we mess around in music and writing and all the art in your case, and you know, and it's like we I, I could we both probably relate to those those uh, sentiments, you know. Oh yeah, definitely. I feel like I feel like the stuff that he's talking about. It I think, again, I think it's K, uh, Carl Carl Wagner describing what why he's always delving into these dark darker themes right and these stories and everything he's trying i think in a way he's trying to give that voice and then in so doing he kind of gives voice for the for everybody anybody who's into this kind of darker darker form of art and everything you know like i'm sure there's a lot of people who are into you know whatever black metal and other dark forms of music and you know love horror movies and all that kind of stuff i feel like there's a lot of those kinds of people who could relate to what he's describing you know what i mean definitely so you know uh Opiros is in this dilemma you know he's kind of at an impasse and then of course we run into uh Eberos, who um is the uh first assistant of uh dematist a uh, alchemist that's a you know powerful sorcerer in the city now this part this this story, there's a to me. There's a lot of like humor in this, you know. Um, so he's looking to borrow money <laughs> to, for gambling, right purposes, and he's like, he's tapped. He lost all this money, and he's like, I can win it back, you know. So you know, Kane comes up, rolls up to Kane, you know, and Kane totally takes advantage of the situation, and because uh, he notices that uh, there's a. a like a little statuette of like Clenure, who was the dark muse, right? And Kane recognizes that right away. And um, 
I try to remember exactly how this goes down, it, but um, it was um, yeah. What's his, the Iberos, whatever his name is? Yeah, yeah. He like comes up. I think it's funny because he's like, my astro. I did the astrological stuff. This is the night I cannot lose. You know this kind of stuff, yeah. and and he's like begging Kane. He's like, he's like, I've prepared. I have this to give you in deposit for the money. You know what I mean? Like when I make the money. I'll, you give this back to me and I'll give you your money, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. And that's when they have the little statue. And uh, so, so they do it because I think, yeah, I think Kane sees the opportunity that the potential opportunity in this. And, um, and they give the money to, to the Eros, whoever his name is, and he runs off to go make, you know, go gamble. And now that's when we find out about the dark muse and the statue and, and what it all means. You know what I mean? Yeah. That essentially, you know, would be possibly be the answer to Apiros's uh, dilemma where, you know, you go into the embrace of the dark muse and she takes you to this dream world, um, a world of dreams and nightmares. And uh, you experience her dark embrace and you will get inspiration. That's what he's looking for basically to, um, complete his work on night winds um but what i thought was was awesome once again kane you know he's kind of like a scumbag you know he he like not only is he a crime lord and a guy who provides drugs to apiros in the beginning but he also swindles eberos out of the, the that's out of the clenure statue you know which i found to be very very <laughs> funny and, but it's like i don't know it's just it's like some tony soprano kind of thing you know <laughs> yeah what well, yeah, like this statue, I guess, is supposed to be like uh, priceless. Like, I forget, I was like some sorcerer made these statues that, that connect with the muses. And this was the few that's still known in the known world, right? And this, uh, this yes, yeah, Erebros guy stole it from his master to use for the eventuality if he had to, like, you know, put it up against the money. That's how, that's how certain he was that he was going to win, right? And so he's pissed off, but Kane kind of like basically uh, was like, you know, what's, what would be the word? He kind of he doesn't muscle him, but he definitely intimidates him into just just uh, giving up to pretending to give up at least, you know. <laughs> he like he swindles him out of this, this statue, and uh, you know, and, and it puts Eberos in a in a situation where he has to potentially flee the city because. Um, you know, his his the main alchemist is gonna be like, you know, what what's up? You stole this thing from me, like, you know, you're responsible for it now. Yeah, exactly. So but but you know, at the same time Kane does this for for Operos, which I think almost in a weird way though shows that he actually kinda likes how that he likes Operos, you know what I mean? That for whatever reason, you know, it's like he's actually genuinely likes him, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's pretty clear that they're friends. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I think even um, Apiros' um, comments about when he first met Kane, how you know they there was they liked each other basically. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, Kane's not like a he, yeah, he's not like a bad guy in the sense that he can't be friends with people or he doesn't have like like you know do the right thing sometimes. But he also is he just is amoral, you know. Some, yeah. if, he, if he decides he likes you then you know then he'll you know he'll like do whatever 
to help you out. But if he doesn't like you, then <laughs> there's a, and there's always a certain point to how much he'll help you. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, I mean, he's all, yeah, he's also very self-serving too and, and self-centered because there is later on in the story, there's a point where he even considers leaving his men, like abandoning his men for, you know, when some action happens later. And, uh, you know, and even back in, uh, in, uh, two sons setting, like he thought about killing the giant, you know, and taking the crown. So he, he's, he's like, um, chaotic, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's a, uh, a chaos about him. Um, you know, and, and he's unpredictable and he can go kind of whichever, which, whichever way the wind blows, I guess. I feel like, uh, in D and D terms, he'd be a chaotic neutral. Yeah, exactly. You know That's what I, mean? what I was trying to explain. Yeah, like he'd be, yeah, he'd just do whatever he's like, but and they ever, yeah, at his whim, kind of. But yeah, the, um, but yeah, that's what we find out. Like when they leave, and of course, Kane has his men and they're like leaving. And he has, he has this feeling that this, uh, Alchemist assistant guy, Eberos, is going to be, be a problem, right? So he, he kind of basically forces Operos to wait. And so they can all go together because I think he knew that something was going to happen, right? Because, you know, everyone's went, went on all this money. So now he's able to hire guys. And sure enough, like they walk up and this like beggar lady comes up and um, Kane gives her some money and she tells him like, there's like, you know, there's a bunch, you know, whatever, seven men or whatever. Talking talk about Kane. So he knows that they're like laying and laying and wait for him around this corner you know yeah this is like a it's like an episode of the sopranos if it took place in the medieval times you know this uh, this uh, particular short story because there's a lot of gang activity a lot of like double crossing and sort of uh you know drug use and you know <laughs> things like this <laughs> i don't know my, it, maybe because i just we all just rewatched that entire season series a, f- a few weeks ago it's in the back of my mind i'm picturing like a, a crime family uh in this story you know like a medieval crime family maybe yeah i actually i need to watch sopranos i never actually watched the whole whole show so it's definitely i'm, I'm i like i love gangster shows uh, movies though so you know i'm a big fan of goodfellas and oh yeah Rocky well so I, I should probably watch sopranos because I, I know everybody lo- says it's the best it's like required out here in the new york new jersey area you have to uh you have to watch it otherwise you know otherwise they, you get kicked out of the area so you have to <laughs> require that everyone here watch the sh- watch that show right yeah it's required required for the tri-state area <laughs> yeah the um but yeah i definitely see that with this story it's uh it's like the medieval medieval gangs i, I mean that that is something that you see in some in some of howard's stories too if like when Kane, when Conan was a thief and stuff like that, you get some of that as well. But I think it's definitely uh, actually something that I think uh, a vein that could be mined by more people, like medieval crime lords. You know what I mean? Because th- they did exist, and I think that there's definitely yeah. a, a lot that you could do with that kind of concept. You know. So Everos is definitely hot on the um, the trail of Kane and Apiros and. Uh, he follows them when they go to the old old was it old town of uh, the older part oh yeah well that's the thing that we forgot first of all kane obviously kane like this they destroy all those guys who are gonna ambush them and then yeah the next night we forgot to mention that 
Kane sells him basically with this dark muse. You have to use the idol, and then there's like a magic incantation or something you use to raise her up. And of course, yeah. Kane, Kane knows that. He he talks about it almost like he was there when the when these statues were made, which probably he was, you know. Yeah. And um, and is that a funny thing? Is Apiros doesn't. He's just like, oh yeah, Kane seems to like a little bit older than me, but he kind of wonders about this kind of stuff at the same time. Like he doesn't really seem to realize how old Kane really is. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, he does it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I guess to to raise it, you have to do this magic. It's good to do it in an appropriate place, which of course I guess makes you know that's pretty good appropriate for magic in general and for particularly raising you know the muse of night dreams and nightmares. You need to find a appropriate ruin type of place or whatever so they're going to go out to the the next night they're going to go out to the old town um and go to an old temple i forget which which god is supposed to be but it's like a it's like old ruin temple. temple and this is where we discover that uh uh Eberos has uh conjured up this uh dark being made out of darkness uh that's trailing uh, Kane and his crew, and um, they're only safe when there's a fire or light around them. So, um, yeah, you know, they're kind of holed up in the temple, and uh, they have like wet firewood and not not that much um, fuel to keep their fires going. And slowly, a lot of his men are getting picked off. Yeah, because because they do the ritual, and Apiros goes off with the Dark Muse right on the end. Yeah. Now they have to fend until he comes back, and yeah, the, the whole the whole like and this is where Kane becomes more of the main character, right? Because now we're talk we're kind of getting from his viewpoint as he's trying to figure out what's going on, and his men are getting uh, picked off one by one, which is very like horror movie. You know, it's very much a horror movie thing. Like it almost reminds me of like the ritual or something, where it's like guys there, and then all of a sudden, and then he finds the guys. All he finds is the guy's like foot in a shoe. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, yeah, and that's when we find out. Yeah, the Ebros brought this thing of darkness, but uh, um, Kane's Kane's pretty smart though, and he figures out a way to basically get the thing to devour Ebros its own on its own. Basically, I forget exactly. Yeah. I think he like scares it with fire or does something like this, and then the thing like ends up eating Ebros. And uh, dissolving, so everything's okay. <laughs> so yeah, so that that problem is is dealt with, and then um, Opiro, Opiro, Opiros returns, but you know his mind is like pretty much at that point shattered by his experiences in the in the nightmare realm, um, and it's he goes into this um, recovery period, you know, and, and this this is like this kind of this this is like a Lovecraftian like element to the story, I think, where he's like. You know, he's gone into this realm of insanity and he's come back into the real world. And he is at this point himself kind of lost his mind and slowly coming back into the fold. And uh, and then he completes the work on um, on night winds. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think it's funny, too, because it says that part of the reason that he some men would have just been driven like totally insane. But but Operos managed to kind of withstand it in a way because he had spent so much of his time already traversing this dark stuff. So, you know, he had a kind of uh, built in ability to kind of get, 
to deal with what he experienced and get it and get back to normal essentially you know what i mean or his version of normal i guess <laughs> yeah totally yeah so um so there's like a big uh event where um there's gonna be a reading of uh night winds and it's uh you know gonna be this big event and uh initially kane was invited but decides not to go yeah i think he says that there's like something that he had to uh to attend to like with like he had to meet oh yeah i think he had to meet like the the person who ran the whole city or whatever right yeah he got called yeah. to do that yeah yeah so he wasn't able to attend the reading and then the, but as after at the night of the event stories start circulating about some horrible thing that happened which they don't really tell you about no yeah all it says is that you know yeah, he says he was never able to hear the masterwork of Apiros, the mad poet. Cain knew that his friend had in truth found inspiration in the embrace of the dark muse. Apiros said in truth created the perfect poem of his dark genius. For as he left the palace of Halbros Saranto, the first horrified tales were spreading across the city. Tales of what awaited the frightened guards when they last broke down the locked doors of that now silent audience hall. I love that ending. It's just so... Yeah. It's very Lovecraftian ending right there. <laughs> yeah, like, it's, it's just like Lovecraft, like when he just doesn't really tell you anything. It's like beyond your comprehension or something. You know, it's like when he runs out of description, it's like, you know, incomprehensible by the human mind, you know, or something. This kind of leaves you hanging as to like what actually happened there. Yeah, it strikes you that he created, yeah, he's created such a perfect work of dark art that he uh, drove everybody insane to kill kill each other or do something or open the doorway to, like, the dark muse or, you know, we don't know. It could be any of those things, you know? What I, what I would like to think happened, it's like in that scene in Event Horizon where everyone just goes insane and just destroys each other <laughs> apart, you know, that's, that's like what I, the imagery I have when I read that is like something like that, you know, happened where it's like, you know, liberate tutome or something like that you know yeah and everyone's like raping and killing each other you know <laughs> that's that's kind of what my my impression was the first time when i read it first time was yeah that's that's what happened yeah but you know anything could have happened i think you you're left you're left up to your own devices to think about what what what, what you what you think happened which you know is a good way to end the story it makes you think you know yeah i mean it's brilliant really in my opinion you know and and uh so yeah, that was that was quite a story. One, one probably one of the best ones in this volume, I think, of uh, this collection, this this part of the collection that we're you know volume one that we're going through. Yeah, I think that out of the stories we've covered so far from Night Winds, I think this is my favorite. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I do like I do like the other ones too, but uh, there's a lot to the story that I I I like I like I like the most because it's you know you got. You got the whole element of talking about like the dark inspiration and you got that Lovecraft element of insanity and you got you got the Howard element of like Kane taking on like some dark you know monster in the dark and you know like it's got a lot it's got pretty much everything and it's very much you know like I think one of the things again with this that you see with all these Kane stories so far except for maybe Tucson setting which is probably so far the most like traditional sword and sorcery one. I think that the rest of them, I feel like uh, Wagner's always trying to come at the sword and sorcery from an angle, if that makes sense. Like he's always trying to find 
some kind of like we're sometimes a different way to intersect with the conventional sword sorcery and do some you know like like having a mad poet be the main character that's you know bringing very much a lovecraft idea of the mad poet or the, you know the yeah. mad arab or something and uh but having it be from his point of view you're, you're getting kind of a very different viewpoint of the character of kane right from his viewpoint so you're always seeing kane also in all these different reflections of the character um and only rarely are you getting his internal viewpoint which i really like as well um because it's really interesting to see the other people's perspective of him and uh yeah definitely you know and and, and you know in the last one we did in tucson setting that that's almost like a western really you know so much of that story yeah it's like a western sword and sorcery story in a lot of ways yeah it very yeah. much has that feeling and uh yeah so i feel like every each story kind of hitting at a different viewpoint but you know i mean howard even even howard who created in a lot of ways sword and sorcery as we know it also did the same thing because if you think about something like a story like beyond the black river that story is basically like a you know a frontiers story set in the you know in the hyborian age you know what i mean like with people like fighting the picks who are supposed to be like the indians you know it's basically like a western frontier story right so yeah. he was he was already kind of doing that but i think uh, kane i think wagner's taking a very a little bit of a different approach with that where you know sometimes you're also getting it from such a utterly different viewpoint like some of those early stories we cover like the one that was from the viewpoint of uh the woman that he loved that he kept bringing back and everything you know like yes sometimes it's just a very it's very interesting and i really like that about this stuff and i think that's part of what makes this stuff very uniquely wagner because it seems like it seems like he's one of one of people who could really approach be it weird fiction or sword and sorcery or whatever he, whatever he's doing in this kind of oblique different way you know what i mean yeah definitely and that's going to continue um on throughout all these stories you know we we run into all other you know there's a lot to ahead of us you know yeah. with the rest yeah. of the stuff and you wait till see we just everyone listening just wait till they see where we go with all this stuff because there's so many there's such a rich um tapestry of stuff that wagner gets into when he's telling the story of kane yeah i mean we'll be even i'm definitely looking looking forward to getting into the novels too and and uh seeing how he develops kane in like a novel-length format and yeah which those ones are definitely have, we'll have to break up probably into a few episodes right but oh yeah yeah there'll be yeah. there'll be multi-part episodes for sure because there's a lot they're pretty dense there's a lot of things to get into but i think we got i mean i don't know yeah, we got a little ways before we get into novels, I think, right? So yeah, you no, know, we got we got a while before we get into that for sure. Yeah, because we yeah. still got three more in this collection, and uh, I'm not sure is it, what's the next one. The next one is isn't it Dark Crusades? Next one. What's that? Was the Book of Cain? Oh, the um, what's that? The uh. Are you talking about the actual book of Cain or the, the next the next volume or the next yeah, short story? The next volume. Next volume would be the book of Cain, right? Yeah. Yeah, because that's short stories. And then you got the, the one three. that you were talking about with uh, the 
the the undead reanimated lady is uh, undertow. Undertow, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, our next story will be Raven's Eerie. So, yeah, that's that's a good one too. Yeah, Undertow is almost like a, you know, like a very, um, you know, like a gothic tale, really, in some ways, like a gothic horror story. Yeah, that one's like a gothic horror story told in like a kind of modern, modernist type of language because it's so fractured and coming from all these viewpoints, you have to kind of like figure out what's going on. You know what I mean? Yeah, Uh, definitely. Yeah, it's he's always he's always like shifting how he's how even like the language of the stories and the way he's writing the stories, which I think is really cool. Which we which we also noticed in in lonely place as well, you know. So yeah. I think it's just that's just Wagner does. He likes to experiment and do different things for which each story never really repeats himself, you know. At least so far, I haven't seen him repeat himself in any of the stories. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. So yeah, that's uh, that's that's uh, the dark muse, man. And yeah. um, so peripherally related to uh, Carlo Wagner tonight's Sunday, so I'm going to be checking out the uh, second episode of the new True Detective series. Oh have yeah, you, uh, have you I gotten into? This? I haven't watched the first episode yet. No, did yeah, you, did you like it? Um. To be determined, let's put it this way. There's things I liked about it, you know. Um, we're we're gonna watch episode one and two tonight again, or rewatch one and then go into two. There's there's things I liked about it, and um, but I'm I'm not I'm reserving my uh, final determination until maybe mid season to see if what how I feel about it really. Right, you gotta see where it, where it goes and how it develops before you can really cast judgment on it, right? Yeah, yeah. There's things I like about it. We'll see if they drop the ball or not, you know. It's always a danger, you know. I mean, I never actually – I only watched season one. I never actually got around to season two and three. So uh, I think mainly because, like, the big interest for me with season, with season one was the element of how it has, like, this kind of creepy cult and, you know, the elements of chambers and all that stuff being mixed in. For me, that was, like, the big attraction for True Detective. So – you know, I was kind of a little bit less interested in two and threes, and I haven't gotten around to them yet. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, well, this this fourth season is like they they kick it off with a um. Well, it's the quote is not actually from uh, Repairer of Reputations, but they have a quote attributed to Hildred Castain, and um. So there's a spiral which shows up, and uh. So we'll see. We'll see how this all connects. You know, okay. I don't know. It might be a red herring or something, but the one thing I found interesting about it is that, you know, Hildred Castain is like the unreliable narrator, you know? Yeah. So I want to see how that plays into the story uh, with the new true detective. Maybe that's, yeah, there's a lot of elements. I don't know. We'll see. You know, I'll, I'll I might love it. I might hate it. I know that I'll have an, an opinion about it at some point. So, yeah. Yeah. I gotta, get, I gotta watch season episode one and see how I feel about it. Like the, but uh, yeah, I mean, them them connecting it with season one could be interesting if they do it right. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's just a matter of if they do it right. It's not the same writer or anything, though, right? So. No, no, no. It's, uh, Nick Pizzolatto's not involved in it anymore. Um, I think he's just more like just as an executive, but um, he's not hands on with any of the writing. And um, Issa Lopez wrote the first 
episode and she's directing the entire thing and she's a horror uh filmmaker um but yeah i don't know you know we'll see it's like the writing has to be on point um you know so far there's some character stuff i don't really like uh but there's some elements to the story that are interesting it takes place in like some fictitious alaskan town and it's the last sunset of the year and it's going to be like 60 days of darkness and you know all this kind of stuff which is like interesting and there's elements of the thing you know that kind of stuff so you know we'll see we'll see how it goes yeah i mean you'll find out i mean the thing that i could see with if you're gonna put in stuff like there's elements of chambers all stuff you got to do it right like in the way like in the way true detective did they did it the first season did it right i mean he he obviously knew those things he put it in there but i don't want to i wouldn't want to see them just like throw it in there because they think that it, it should be in there without really understanding the concepts you know what i mean like just you know sometimes they do that where they just throw like stuff in to kind of appease the fans but it's not really like it's not really yeah, exactly. than that you know well, that's what I was afraid of too. And, and I, what I would love to see them to see them do is like connect one in season one and four with the concept of the Yellow King or the King in Yellow, like as being something that drives people insane to do horrible things. You know what I mean? To manifest it in that way, like in the train chambers, like the, the play. You know, yeah. it's something that makes people crazy and do things. You know that that that's kind of like what i hope they do but we'll see you know uh, that i would i would like them to develop it like is the end of in my opinion what you know i just rewatched season one before you guys did those episodes on everything went black and i feel like i just really get that feeling at the end of season one like when he sees like the altar for king king in yellow and he actually looks up and there's this like whole like swirling something i'm like i think he's actually seeing that there is this force here that's, that's driving a lot of stuff. Right. And yeah, I'd like to see them develop that. Cause I feel like they kind of left it there and you're kind of like, okay, well, what was that? And then they just never came back to it in season two and three. Right. You know, it was just kind of left, but you could definitely yeah. de develop that in a way, like you said, like have some other enclave of the King and yellow cult or whatever, you know, existing in someplace like Alaska, it'd be a really cool way of, of developing. I think, you know, and maybe, yeah. You don't have to explain stuff, but just kind of develop that. Yeah, this is something kind of weird going on. Like, there's, you know. Well, at the end of this, at the end of all this, me and Ralph are going to do a rundown. If and maybe you, maybe we'll have all three of us do it. Maybe we'll, if you want, you know, if you watch it too, maybe we can have everyone, all three of us, discuss it. You know, it's definitely yeah. worth it. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to watch it. I just haven't got around to watching one, but I'm gonna get to get to that as well. So. I want to. I'm pretty. I'm pretty curious to see what they're gonna do. So, right on. Oh, you know, oh, yeah. But I'll definitely watch it. So, it'd be kind of cool to do that. So yeah, this is. Uh, we're getting getting the steam up for this. Uh, this next. Uh, you know, attempt here, and we're looking forward to hitting the next one, man. Hell yeah, yeah. Oh, I enjoy. I'm really enjoying the Kane stories a lot. Like this is definitely. Uh, this is sick. You know. Thanks a lot. Perfect. Thanks, dude. Yeah, take care now. Bye. Bye.